0: From the deck of the good ship lollipop, it's the IGN Digi guys Please welcome two of Shirley Temple's backup dancers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What a show we have. Listener Mail, VoxBox, great new titles. A lot of great classic titles, documentaries, television. Uh, no, no, actually, no television today. We're we're uh, piling that up for next week. But music, music.
1: Who cares, Wade? I have a question.
0: Yes. What's your question?
1: And uh, <laughs> oh, now, as you know, I'm not making this up. By the way, as you know, I'm redoing uh, my kitchen. Way, by the way, h- how do
0: I open this bottle? This Just, is like childproof. It's a it's a water bottle. What no, th- it's open. Just twist the thing on the top. It's got spring water with flora? Well,
1: I don't have any. I don't have uh, a sink f- now f- because fluoridated
0: bottled water now is that what this has come to who cares
1: I, I, oh you know what I got like 18 of those little bottles for the workers who are working on my kitchen uh, and I'm giving I, you the last one by the way
0: fluoridated water I, I deny them my essence thank
1: you <laughs> uh, that's from Dr. Strangelove um, I have a question no 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 just, no, no just, it's, it's open already it's open all you do really? is twist that little thing on the top no 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 don't don't stop the show give me that it's already open okay. It's, you, did. Mm. <laughs> you really did that, didn't you? Right. I did. This That's is a very professional show. You <laughs> really got, got this water right?
0: all over my hands, and about, my pants, and the floor. That's great.
1: After five hundred shows, you have really got it down. Um, so how
0: do you close it?
1: You twist it the other way, but you, all you're doing is twisting it like ten degrees. Oh, I That's see. It.
0: Oh, I see.
1: By the way, Wade is not making this up. Um, <laughs> d- remember the story about how I remember the story about how I uh, I, I didn't know how to use my electric toothbrush. Yeah, remember the story? I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you looked at me like I was the biggest idiot who ever lived.
0: I'm, I'm now that idiot. Okay. Right, so you have, a you, you have a question. Yes, I'm sorry. Mark. Because
1: I, I, I have something I want to do when Wade talks about movies I don't care about. So I'm redoing my kitchen, and uh, I want to buy a microwave. Okay. And I have one I want to buy. But I have a question, Wade. Now, you yes. went into my kitchen. Yes. And you saw the area that the microwave will be inserted into. I did. Do you think that the shelf that will be built to place this microwave on can handle a thirty pound microwave. Uh like I mean, the let, shelf isn't really being supported by anything. It's just like let a shelf. Me, uh,
0: let me whip out my slide rule and do some quick engineering calculations. Like how should long, I know?
1: But I want but I want to buy this microwave right now on the show.
0: How how heavy is your old microwave that was on that shelf?
1: Well no the microwave was on the countertop. I'm having I a shelf see. built
0: just to put this microwave on top. Well then you should ask your contractor. Ugh, stupid contractor. They know that stuff. I know I they do fine. I mean, th- you know, thirty-pound microwave shouldn't. That seems like uh, a
1: lot, right? Doesn't thirty pounds 30 seem pounds? like a lot for a microwave?
0: Not really. My 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 daughter is like almost fifteen pounds, so that's like you know, two daughters.
1: Freaking kid. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then I guess I'm not going to buy this microwave on the show. <laughs> I really okay. wanted to buy it on the show. It was two hundred. It's one hundred ninety nine dollars on Amazon. Oh, nice. But I'm not going to buy it because I don't know if it's going. to – You know what? I'll have to ask my uh, contractor.
0: You should do that. <laughs> So annoying. All
1: right. Well, now uh, I have to pay attention to whatever stupid movie well, you're going to you know talk
0: what, about. Uh, I've been flying through some documentaries and I uh, figure we'll just do it, We'll just. I'm just going to blow through these real quickly, okay? Yay. So you, can, you can time me uh, like, like five. You know, if you want to give me five minutes, uh, six minutes, I'll, I'll blow through these documentaries. Go. Because a lot of good stuff. Uh, Walk Away, Renee. This is Jonathan Coet's new film. Now, Jonathan Coet did Tarnation, which was he made for like 18 cents. And it was this, this huge sort of self-revelatory personal essay uh, uh that uh, just went gangbusters at, at uh, sundance and he became kind of an overnight uh, indie sensation and this is his follow-up and uh, it's uh, you know it's good this is part of the sundance select series uh released through mpi i gotta say it's not uh not amazing um this also screened at uh, critics weeks can Cans critics week sidebar in 2011 um I'd like to see him do something that is sort of not um this one's about his mother, you know, his mother's mental illness and it sort of picks up this, his whole family story. Anyway, I mean it's it's good, but I'd like to see this guy do something else other than like, you know, do these personal video diaries about his family and his issues. We got we got to go somewhere else. So be, be. Well, he
1: obviously has a lot to say, and he does a good job yeah, saying he it.
0: does, but you know what? If you're if you're You can't be someone who just tells us your family stories your whole career. That's not a career. That's, that's, what the, if he has only... a very
1: interesting family, which he seems to have? I suppose.
0: Uh, Whisper to a Roar. Uh, this was a bit of a big deal. This did not get an Oscar nomination, did it? It did not. No, that's too bad. Uh, anyway, this is, uh, this is actually a really, really, really good film, and uh, it should have gotten an Oscar nomination. What this is is a um, – I talked about this on NPR, I think. Two this is uh it, it takes a lot of different democracy movements around the world. This is one of them. Is you know uh, Venezuela when Hugo Chavez was alive, the people who opposed Chavez, and you know there are others. Ukraine is in here as well, Zimbabwe, and it takes all these democracy movements and it kind of weaves a tapestry. It finds the common thread that holds together these people who are all sort of protesting uh, the denial of rights and tyranny and various forms of totalitarianism, authoritarianism. It's a great doc. It really is. It kind of makes it look like there's a larger family struggling for freedom rather than all these individual little freedom movements. Shakespeare Uncovered from PBS is pretty awesome. Uh, I, of course, as, as people uh, may or may not know, I named, my, uh, well, we, my wife and I, named our daughter after a character from Shakespeare. And um, this is pretty awesome. This is about the stories that are behind the actual plays. And the plays in question are Hamlet, Richard II, Macbeth, uh, The Tempest, Henry IV and Henry V, and then the various comedies uh, like Twelfth Night and As You Like It, and um, it's really incredibly interesting, and some great people here who uh, kind of all serve as guest hosts, including, you know, Jeremy Irons and Derek Jacobi and uh, Trevor Nunn, who is just wonderful. Ethan Hawke shows up for some strange reason. Still not a fan of Ethan Hawke, but uh, really great. It's just, it, it gives you so much more insight into Shakespeare and the, the richness of the plays. Pretty great stuff. Uh, Errol Garner, no one can hear you read. This is uh, an Atticus Brady film from First Run Features, which has unbelievable people in it. And I'm not familiar with Errol Garner, or at least wasn't previously familiar with Errol Garner, who is this amazing jazz prodigy. He's like this – anyone who knows jazz knows his work. He's just apparently like the jazz uh, pianist. And uh, tons of people. It's a lot of interesting footage here. Just gives you a complete biographical uh, portrait of the of the guy, and uh, some great interviews here, including Steve Allen and Woody Allen. No relationship, you know that? Uh, no relation. Woody Allen, and Steve Allen, not related. Did you know that? Really? And, um, I never knew that. Uh, and uh, how about
1: Joan t- Allen, the actress?
0: She's related to both of them. How
1: about Karen Allen? Uh, no relation. I don't know, he, you know. Can you name a big actor today whose name is Allen? Um, ah. A big actor Yeah not like you know, Alan Cummings or something Just Is it like a big major Not Alan Ladd or whatever Just Alan Because I think Alan has gone out of style Another name that's gone out of style by the way You ready can you name anybody Who you care about yeah. In terms of pop culture Sure Name
0: Neil uh, Neil Pert. Neil <laughs> Pert.
1: How wow! You know Neil
0: Peart? Well, Rush. Thank you. Wow, impressive. You. Love love Rush. Rush is awesome. You do not. I do really. Love Rush yeah. The last fight of Peter Gins is uh, also a first run features documentary. This and by, by the way, the, both of these have these little this super slim eco packaging. The Errol G- uh, Garner uh, and the uh, Peter Gins disc. They're like really, really, really uh, slim and probably won't show up on a shelf anywhere in a store. Anyway, uh, this is an, this is amazing. Peter Ginz was a, a victim of Auschwitz, and um, this is just a, a wonderful. It, it's it, it, this is like the flip side, I would almost say, to um, something like the Diary of Anne Frank. It's a different kind of a, an insight into a different kind of child. And um, he had written five novels and a diary by the time uh, the Nazis invaded Prague. And uh, at sixty, I mean, he's just this, this incredible. Uh, he painted and he drew, and left uh, an incredible legacy of uh, of creation. And this is sort of uh, this is all about his. Um, this is all about really an extraordinary life, an extraordinarily creative life that was cut short, but left a legacy nonetheless that we we use to remember him by. And I'm I'm sort of surprised that this isn't. As well known as Anne Frank, to be honest, because he's, you know, Anne Frank, I guess, has perhaps more drama to the actual narrative of her, of her diary of the events. But um, this kid's unbelievable. I mean, truly, it's just, it's just heartbreaking and yet inspiring at the same time. A uh, girl model, another one from First Run Features. Is um, a little bit disturbing. I I've never been really keen on the whole modeling thing and how you know young girls who are just barely out of puberty are are turned into cover girls and s- s- just doused with makeup and shoved into this lifestyle that you know makes them anorexic drug addicts by the time they're eighteen. Uh, it doesn't really this this doesn't really uh, alleviate my. Um, my concerns on that but it is very interesting and it does uh, give you a penetrating look into that world and that uh, process although i don't think it's the definitive film about that my goodness what are we getting strafed here
1: you know every uh maybe what once every Blue angels like, like once a day once every couple days you will hear a plane fly overhead i think they're leaving from burbank airport jeez
0: uh, Fatherland is filmed by, uh, Argentine director Nicolas Prividera, and this is all about the, uh, La Recoleta Cemetery, and, uh, which is this famous cemetery that is sort of a, a historical touchstone in, uh, Argentina. Anyway, uh, the very interesting stuff. There are the interesting excerpts that are read during the course of this thing, and you, are sort of given not only an archival insight into the cemetery itself, but what it represents from a historical standpoint. It's a little narrow, but interesting nonetheless. Mark, you saw the Central Park 5, didn't you? I did see the Central Park 5. Got, got a Blu ray here of the Central Park 5. It uh, doesn't need to be seen on Blu ray necessarily because so much of this thing is archival footage.
1: They uh, really, really push for an Oscar. They, they really, really push Well,
0: it. because it was Ken Burns' daughter. It was sort of, you know, he threw his name on it. It's basically his daughter who pushed for it. And. Um, it's not really a Ken Burns film in, in any way, but it's uh, it's an important story. I you know we all remember the Central Park Five, and you know they were accused of this horrible rape, and then you know it turned out they were vindicated, and it just it's awful. Um, it, it's just an awful story of miscarriage of justice. Don't know that this thing needs to be on Blu-ray, honestly, because no, so much no, of the archival footage is is not high def, so it's it, it really doesn't absolutely have to be. But, but it's, it, a, it's, it's a, a good, good talk. film. It is a good film. It's
1: it's pretty. You know what? You you really wonder about the. The, the kids have been so definitively exonerated, but you still always kind of look at them going, is somebody not telling the total truth? Do Absolutely. they know they're on a documentary, and this I is know. for history, and they better put on a good show? You just don't know. But they seem so genuine, and they were legitimately exonerated, and it is a tragic story. And, it, I mean, again, it, it's a pretty definitive telling of what happened. Yeah. But Absolutely. it's also a very specific time in New York history. You know, that, that time now is thankfully gone, and hopefully will not come back.
0: Uh, we have Orchestra of Exiles. Once again, we are, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. The the Holocaust and World War II continue to give us so many great stories, and uh, we've talked about one already. This is another one. Uh, the, um, one thing that, you know, one of the little sidebars of uh, Jewish persecution uh, just before the Holocaust that isn't known is that Jews started, you know, they were, they, there were huge communities of Jewish musicians and orchestras all over Europe. And uh, some of the best musicians. And Hitler started firing them uh, and uh, getting rid of them and basically costing them their livelihood. And there's a little bit of a backstory to that that connects with The Pianist, the uh, Roman Polanski film. And, uh, you know, we certainly know now, that, I mean, still today, once again, it's just like a tradition in a lot of European Jewish families that music is, is what sort of defines you. It's how we, you know, got Isaac Stern and Itzhak Perelman and so many great Jewish musicians that are, that are alive today. Anyway, um, and uh, this is about a violinist named Bronislav Huberman who uh, created a symphony with a lot of these, ex- these, sort of, uh, these fired and expatriate uh, Jewish musicians. Then it became the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. And uh, that's, the, that's the story, Orchestra of Exiles. It is a, it is a wonderful, powerful, moving story. Excellent. Uh, you know what, Mark? I got a Blu-ray here, a Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo of uh, Katy Perry, the movie, Part of Me.
1: You love this movie.
0: And I love the fact that on the cover of it, it says, uh, look, look, right at the bottom. What does it have on the bottom?
1: You may be a winner to meet Katy no no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 much. Cinema bottom.
1: score A. <laughs> Certified fresh from Rotten Tomatoes.
0: <laughs> it, now, they put that on there because obviously they're convinced that people are going to look at this and go, oh, crap, that looks like junk. And they want to make sure you understand. No, the critics liked it, too.
1: Actually, the critics did kind of like it.
0: And I liked it. And one reason I liked it is because it's very... It's the same people who did the Justin Bieber uh, concert film, which is just crap and trash. Um, But this is honest. And it gets into her life and, you know, her strange upbringing and, you know, very, very, like, uh, evangelical upbringing. She wasn't really exposed to rock music early on. And then she kind of rebelled. Still loves her parents. Gets along great with her parents. But it's very, very raw in terms of what it shows you about her private life. I mean, her breakup, the breakup of her marriage... To that idiot. That, Russell Brand. That douchebag. Who, uh, who
1: tweeted a, a photo of her uh, without any makeup on, which like horrified her. She was very angry about that. Yeah, well, he twit-picked a photo of his wife with no makeup on.
0: And she, the marriage breakup happens basically in this movie. And they're, the, one of the most powerful parts of this film is where she is sitting there just devastated, crying, falling apart. And she's got to go on stage in like two minutes and you, the camera follows her right into the little elevator thing that takes you up to the stage, and you see her just sobbing and sobbing, and somehow, by sheer force of will, she pulls it together, and that thing comes up on stage in front of thousands of fans, and there she is with a smile on her face, and she goes out and she puts, she puts on the show. It is an amazing moment, and I can't believe I'm saying that Katy Perry, the movie part of me, which does not need to be seen in 3D, it was released in 3D, which is silly, but uh, it's, there's some really good stuff in there. We got a Jewish theme today, Mark. We can't get away from it. I'm uh, Jewish. Broadway musicals, Jewish legacy. Yeah, from, uh, from the Athena line of uh, Acorn is great. Absolutely great. Uh, you know what? It, and I'm so. We always talk about Hollywood as sort of being a, a Jewish legacy. You know, uh, European Jews that came here and built the studios, Empire of Their Own, the uh, Neil, Neil Gabler Neil book. Gabler book is. is every, by the way,
1: every Jew, including me, has that book.
0: I have that book. And, you know, I've got like maybe three drops of uh, of Jewishness, of Judaic. Not enemy. enough. Not enough. I know.
1: You're anyway, not Jewish. Uh,
0: not, not, not sufficiently. But uh, uh-huh. anyway, it's pretty great. You know, you, you, <laughs> you forget. It's like Irving Berlin and the Gershwins and Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein and Leonard Bernstein and, pretty, and Stephen Sondheim. And pretty soon you, you start going, damn, there are a lot of Jews in Broadway. Good for them. Well, because
1: it's Broadway. It's New York. They're immigrants.
0: You, you still haven't seen Spam a lot, have you? Yeah, I've. That's great. That's hilarious. That, that one song. You know what song i oh, about? It's been too long. Oh, I don't remember. You won't succeed on Broadway if you don't have any Jews. <laughs> oh, I remember on. that. Oh my gosh! It's the best song in the whole thing. It's hysterical. Oh, uh, Citizen Hearst. Now you'll know everything. This is the uh, Leslie Iwerks documentary, um, all about uh, William Randolph Hearst. And I, I got to tell you. Um, I've seen Citizen Kane so it doesn't you know all you really go is you're like wow Citizen Kane was much more accurate than I ever expected that it was Uh, but still it's it's nice to sort of get a, a more you know authoritative look behind the scenes uh, Glow: The Story of the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Mark, my when I was when I was uh, a a pubescent teenager, uh, Saturday mornings were very special. Not because I enjoyed watching, you know, Hulk Hogan and men wrestle. No, 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 no. I liked watching Glow: The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. I remember Glow. You remember Glow? Sure. Big Fiji and Little Fiji. <laughs> I remember Big Fiji. I was like, get that fat woman off there. Little Fiji, on the other hand, that's good times. That's good times. Uh, absolutely that was a lot of fun Uh, really really fun and it was in Vegas and it was trashy and uh, this is a great look back at that stuff Uh, terrific audio commentary on here with Billy Corgan believe it or not Uh, of Smashing Pumpkins Billy Corgan and uh, it's just wonderful. It's it's just a wonderful flashback, and I, I had a great time with it. Uh, this is not a film, Mark. You watched this as well, didn't you? The, the you know film. I,
1: I loved this film for about forty minutes, and I'm like, is something going to happen?
0: Exactly. You know, this guy. <laughs> this was people called this like not only the best documentary of last year, but like the best movie of last year.
1: Well, this happened during, during a very specific time in Jafar's career.
0: Well, well, Jafar Panahi, one of the greatest Iranian filmmakers of all time, by the way, it's beginning to look like... uh, Christmas? No, it's beginning to look like... Christmas? Christmas? This no. begins look a lot like Christmas No stop it You're, you're, you're throwing me off. You're taking me out of my game You're throwing you me off You have no man. game
1: Have we not established that
0: No uh, No what's his face He did a, a separation I know his
1: new one Just premiered at can yeah. the, uh, the, the path The family The, the something the, the, past. the past
0: The past The past Yeah it's looking like That's the Palm d'Or favorite all I know of a sudden. I love him He's so You know awesome. he's a great guy He's really? such a It could not You met him did I? Yeah, he showed up at uh, our whole awards thing, did he? Oh, that's he? right. Yeah, yeah
1: he yeah. did. He was there.
0: Anyway, Jafar Panahi, of course, as everyone knows, is under house arrest, not allowed to make movies, be ever since the Green Revolution. He kind of ran afoul of the Iranian authorities and uh, things are things are looking bad for him. And this is not a documentary or this is not a film is a uh, is is basically a documentary that chronicles uh, a certain period of his uh house arrest clandestinely shot, you know, uh, under under the noses of the authorities, and it's it goes it's sort of to the root of what he's going through. Well, it's, but it's very interesting. It's, no, no,
1: it's it's very revealing. He literally he is on the phone with his attorneys, yes, wondering if he's going to be thrown in jail. Can he make movies again? If not, uh, when can he make movies again? It's really all out there. So, he, and he gets visitors to his home, and everybody knows that they're on they're on camera. So he makes a since he can't make a film in Iran. He makes it in his little apartment, and the thing take pl- takes place almost wholly. There's a couple of shots, I think, at the end that's, uh, that's sort of like in the little gated community he lives in. Totally in his apartment, and for about – again, for about a half hour, 45 minutes, you are really – you feel for this guy. You feel like you're, you're in the middle of a piece of history of a great filmmaker – and then eventually you're sort of like, you know, okay, I get yeah. it. Is something going
0: to happen now? I agree completely.
1: But again, it, that's not to take away from uh, from the injustice that he's going through, how great he is as a filmmaker. I just think that this film is great for about 45 minutes.
0: Totally concur. Uh, the uh, The Great Commanders, the collection, is a six-part series from British television that is unbelievably awesome, now on DVD from uh, microcinema and uh, this is this is just totally awesome. It, it, what it is I mean, I was a history major before I was a film major, so I still really love this stuff. It looks at uh, at, a, at a collection of a half dozen great commander military commander guys and uh, they're just sort of they're not randomly chosen but they're not you know they don't they don't choose they don't choose like a, a 20 of them or 30 or 40 they choose just six and uh, try to sort of paint a portrait of how these kinds of men change history and the figures in question Alexander the Great Julius Caesar Horatio Nelson uh, Napoleon Bonaparte Ulysses S Grant and Georgie Zhukov and i just thought well that's a really interesting collection of guys um so it, it really does uh, Brian Cox does fabulous narration of this it's really uh, really pretty great and uh, Phil Grabsky who did this you know he does a lot he did like the, um, the Beethoven doc and the uh, the, v- the Wagner doc he's a great documentary he's wonderful just love his stuff a bunch of stuff from um PBS. Let me just get the PBS stuff out of here. Dangerous Edge: A Life of Graham Greene, narrated by Sir Derek Jacobi. Love Graham Greene, my favorite. You know what? Derek Jacobi could narrate a documentary about uh, the guy down the street. I would listen to it. Absolutely wonderful. Very boilerplate, but it's it's good. Building Pharaoh's Chariot is a Nova uh, documentary about the amazing innovation of the chariot. We we kind of take them for granted, and we think about Ben Hur, and uh, we think about you know Yul Brenner getting swamped by water in uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know that Charlton Heston. If you were on a, a chariot opposite him, you were going to get it. No, it's really interesting. The chariot was an amazing innovation. And then uh, this interesting thing, another Nova called uh, "Ancient Computer," which is about the discovery of this thingamabob that they had on this uh, this this ancient ship that they uh, raised. And it was it's like this weird little kind of gizmo that is sort of like an ancient computer. It it really did all these calculations according to all these gears and. People, anciently, were kind of smart. Uh, there's a front line called Cliffhanger, Politics, Personalities, and the Fiscal Cliff, which is great to watch since the debt ceiling uh, is coming up again. This will uh, tell you exactly what we're in store for once again. And then on Blu-ray and DVD, another Nova, Earth from Space. Get it on on Blu-ray. This one uh, has to be seen on Blu-ray. It's absolutely super cool. Uh, this is uh, some of the most breathtaking photography you will ever see all kind of this tapestry of the uh, of planet Earth from uh, as seen from orbit, it's really amazing. Uh, just for the photography alone, it's super cool. And then, uh, Shakespeare the King's Man, uh, once again, uh, an Athena release. This is, um, uh, a pretty dense. You, you kind of almost have to be more of a, a real Shakespeare aficionado to appreciate this. It's three hours. Of uh, of really intense scholarship, looking at the Shakespeare's plays. It's not like the other one that we, we talked about. It this is this is a little bit more intensely uh, intensely. I don't know what what would be the word like a Shakespeareophile. Uh, Shakespeareophile. Uh,
1: let me see. Let me just is think of random lit- words to help you out.
0: Never mind. Forget Food? It.
1: Energy? No. Delicate? No, no, no. Warming? No, no, no. Soup? No no. no, no. You can tell them on a microwave website. It puts
0: Shakespeare in a certain historical context, and it's. Uh, it's Shows all Lamians? It's, a lame it's is. pretty interesting. He
1: didn't write his own stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, so they've said. And then uh, <laughs> Frida Lee Mock, who has won uh, Academy Awards before, who is married to Terry Sanders, who was my first teacher in film school, who has also won Academy Awards. And Frida Lee Mock has been the uh, president of the documentary committee for uh, quite some time at the Academy. Uh, her film, G Dog, is. Yo, yo, yo. Y- you know who G Dog is, don't you? Yo, yo, yo. See, you don't. You just, I have you, no idea who G Dog is. It just sounds like something. But already, kid. I'm annoyed. Yeah, all right. This is about Father Greg Boyle, who is known as G Dog. Sure.
1: Father No, he's a he's a very famous uh, local LA uh, he's a Jesuit. He's done, done a lot of great work.
0: Yep, he's a, he's this uh, he's this wonderful uh, Jesuit who who is, is like a they gang. Him, he's a gang interventionist guy.
1: They call him G Dog.
0: They call him G Dog. Lame. I think it's great. And then Vietnam, the 10,000-day war on four discs. This needs no introduction. This is sort of the, the quintessential Vietnam documentary. It is, uh, it is just absolutely uh, horrifying. If you, if you have no grasp, if you're you know, young enough to not really understand Vietnam except through a handful of movies and TV shows, get this. Watch this. It will fill in all the blanks. And then lastly, a lovely box set called The Royal Collection. Um, this is uh, this, from BBC. This combines a whole bunch of stuff on the uh, the royal family, and uh, if you are one of those people that just can't stop watching, uh, you know, royal weddings and all that nonsense, you will just go crazy for this. Queen Victoria's children, uh, King George and Queen Mary, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, how to be a prince, which is a little goofy. That's uh, you know, kind of a profile of Prince William. And uh, the Queen's Coronation Day bonus booklet is what is included here. The most interesting of these, obviously, is uh, Queen Victoria's children because Queen Victoria, for those who don't know, sort of populated all of the thrones of Europe with her children and uh, her grandchildren basically were responsible for World War One. People don't realize that, but it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> Russia and uh, England and, you know, every, every, almost every country in Europe somehow was tied to... Queen Victoria's bloodline uh, during World War I, and it was like a family feud. It was just really tragic.
1: And then years later, Kate Middleton's going to give birth. It's very exciting. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Isn't
0: that amazing? All right, Mark, let's talk about uh, newish movies. And I, don't, I didn't say Jewish movies. I didn't say bluish movies. I said newish movies.
1: Uh, Wade, one of the last reviews I wrote for Box Office Magazine was for a movie called Parker, and uh, Parker stars Jason Statham. And I don't like Jason Statham. I'm tired of Jason Statham cuz Jason Statham does the same movie every damn time. Can't handle it anymore. This one, he actually uh, did something even did something that is almost inexcusable, Wade, which is that he's he kinda,
0: He's kind of good at what he does, though, isn't
1: he? Is, no, he's lame. He makes the same damn movie, which is that he, along with director Taylor Hackford, uh, just taking a paycheck here, uh, did something inexcus- inexcusable, which is that they took a classic Donald Westlake character, Parker, uh, who has only been in two films uh, in, uh, has only been in two films Payback, which I liked from 99, that was a Mel Gibson film, and Point Blank, the terrific film from 1967, those are the only time, that's, those are the only two times that Donald Westlake's Uh, Parker has ever been the main character of a film even though Donald Westlake would not allow the name Parker to be used in those movies and those characters had different names however now in 2013 the Donald Westlake estate because Donald Westlake passed away uh, has finally allowed a movie to be made of the character Parker as written in the book and it turns out that this movie is terrible It's a complete programmer. I'm tired of Jason Statham. I don't know what Jennifer Lopez is doing in this film. Uh, It's a complete misfire, and I just did not like this film at all. Sorry. Not even Pete Hammond can like this film. (laughs) This film is so bad, even Pete Hammond doesn't like it. It's got Nick Nolte in it and Michael Chiklis, who's completely over the top, and Jason Statham. Again, he just does the same damn thing every time, and I'm getting a little bit tired of it, but uh, there you go. Parker did not Uh, like it one bit. However, a film that I liked a lot was Side Effects, which is uh, one of Steven Soderbergh's quote-unquote last films. Now, if you're going to see Side Effects, which I highly recommend –
0: by, by the way, but by, yeah, by the way, before you get on to side effects, uh, you know the behind the candelabra, has, which is technically his last film, unless he changes his mind. The Liberace thing with Michael Douglas—that's right, uh, as Liberace and Matt Damon as his lover. Um, the, uh, the have you seen the Michael Douglas? I mean, that's screening at Cannes, and it's only going to wind up on HBO here because no studio and, uh, wanted to make it, and no distributor wanted to release it. But um, which is weird. Michael Douglas's makeup—have you have you seen it? Uh, yeah, he looks like Terry Kaiser. <laughs>
1: Oh, I think you said that on Facebook. I did.
0: He looks honestly. I kid you not. When Terry Kaiser played Vic Hitler on, on Hill Street Blues, he looked exactly the way that Michael Douglas looks in uh, in this.
1: Wait, you, wait. His character's name was Vic Hitler.
0: Don't you know that? I, I can't remember. Before, it's a long time. Everyone knows Terry Kaiser is basically Bernie the guy from Weekend, Bernie. He was guy. No, he was also on Three's Company. He was great on Three's Company, and he had tons of TV appearances all through the '70s and the '80s. And he was on Hill Street Blues as a narcoleptic stand-up comic named Vic Hitler. And he wouldn't change his name because it would have been a disgrace to his ancestors. He says, "That's uh, you know, I, I, I'm this is my proud. My father was proud of his name. I'm not going to change my name. His name was Vic Hitler, and and uh, but he was the narcoleptic comic. And it was sad because he would go up and he'd tell a joke and they'd fall asleep on stage, and everyone thought that it was like part of the act, and it was. And he was just falling asleep on his feet. And that was Terry Kaiser. First thing I ever I ever really noticed him in. Anyway. By the way,
1: you know what's funny is that there's this um, of side
0: effects. Carry on. Well,
1: I, I, okay, I, one I, one more story about about, about Terry Kaiser. Because you you don't you probably don't know know this because you don't follow baseball, but the and the Oakland A's have a thing a dance yeah. that they call the Bernie Lean, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know weird. who generated this, but when you go to an A's game in Oakland, they do this thing called the Bernie Lean, That's and weird. and then one day I think this was either earlier this year or no, it was last year. It was last September. Terry Kaiser showed up too a Red Sox game. The actual Bernie himself really? showed up great. to a an A's Red Sox game That's pretty at the Oakland Coliseum. That's great. And it was a big, big deal because nice. I, I don't know who figured out that the Bernie lean should be an Oakland A's song, but there it is. They just mm-hmm. started doing it in the A's Coliseum and it really took off. Anyway, nice. um, God, how we get on that? Side Effects is a terrific film, and I was one of the first people to see it, which means I read nothing about it. Um, but all I can say, I'm not going to say much about it because part of the fun of the film is not knowing what you're getting into, is that it's a it's a crackerjack thriller. It's, it's Soderbergh is so controlled in terms of what he wants to achieve, where he wants to take you, and how he will methodically take you there to the point where you think you're seeing one movie when it starts, but it turns out you're seeing a totally different movie by the end. Sweet. And I just love how he... He just slowly indoctrinates you into thinking you're seeing a certain thing. And then in the end, you realize you're seeing another thing. And I loved it. And it's got um, Jude Law, Rudy Mara, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and uh, Channing Tatum. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's a terrific film. It's uh, very highly recommended by me. It's uh, Blu-ray. Does it need to be shot on uh, seen on Blu-ray? Yeah, you know, look um, – um, Soderbergh has a cinematographer he's been working with for years named Peter Andrews. I don't know how they met Soderbergh and Peter Andrews but (laughs) they must have met in college sometime maybe when they were kids or something. They're the same person. Um, But anyway, Soderbergh films are always very well shot and uh, I just think this film was just terrific and again, if you rent it and you should, don't read much about it because part of the fun is not knowing where it is going. Very Hitchcockian and uh, I love the double crossing, crazy noirish Sweet. stuff going on. Well,
0: it uh, and it also includes a uh, an ultraviolet copy, as does Stand Up Guys, which I found monumentally disappointing. Did you I like Stand-, Stand Up Guys. Did you like Stand Up? You know Guys? why I liked it? And here's, here is why I like Stand Up Guys. Okay. You g- g- give me this movie. Give yeah. me the. <laughs> Because um, no one's trying in this movie, you realize it. It's it, it's almost like to me. It's almost like they're under the impression. Oh my gosh, look, look, we've got uh, Al Pacino and Christopher Walken and uh, Alan Arkin. Oh my gosh, the, the movie's done. It's over. Just, <laughs> well, just, just let put just point a camera at them. They'll do their thing, and they'll uh, they'll be all like, I'm gravelly and I'm a do <laughs> right. I'm weird and we do <laughs> a little thing we do. Blah, 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 well, blah, 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 I. When they do their thing, and they don't even need a script. They just get Walken just will walk on, and he'll just say something walking me and i say oh, I must grab my ball sack and uh, <laughs> Archer, I, I'm, uh, okay. say, shut up you, I can't hear myself think over here and it'll, it it just it makes itself here's it doesn't here, it's uh, boring no, no. it's boring beyond all comprehension especially when they, they go to the you, hooker and all that stuff you have oh, to heaven help us
1: you have to understand dear viewer although this is a podcast and you're not watching it dear listener that uh, this film is a modest film. If you think you if you think you're going to watch an epic that will be worthy of the careers of Al Pacino, Christopher yeah. Walken, and, and Alan Arkin, Mod- you are modest incorrect.
0: Is, modest is Mark's euphemism for go in with low expectations. No, no,
1: no, I, no. Well, no, I went in I went in with high expectations, and then you realize that that this is going to be just a modest little character study, really about two guys, not three. I think Arkin just did it to work with the other two. Yes, he did. Which is okay, but it's really about uh, Pacino and Walken, and it's just a very uh, purposely slow, a little bit meandering story of these two lifelong friends and their night together, and that's really it. I, I, I think that to knock it for not being worthy of their legacies is to is to put weight upon the material that, that the material didn't, my, it's, it's not there. My that,
0: problem is it's not worthy of my legacy. That's my problem. <laughs>
1: you have no legacy. Um, I will say that Fisher Stevens, uh, tonally, he doesn't really know how to kind of navigate like the character stuff versus the more comedic stuff versus the dramatic stuff it doesn't necessarily meld that smoothly no. but um I will say that I did enjoy this because I took it for what it w- I I didn't I didn't knock it for what it wasn't yeah and what it didn't want to be I it, gave it credit for what it was We're
0: not really giving you much insight into what the plot is and the plot basically is is uh, Al Pacino just got out of prison Christopher Walken's an old buddy of his picks him up and you realize that there's more going on uh, to their relationship than then either of them are letting on but they kind of both know where things are going and I'll, I'll leave it there but it's a, it's an old crime guy movie um, now I want to talk for a second about Ultraviolet uh, I've been taking a giant plunge big swan dive into Ultraviolet lately because it's what I do when I have you know we're putting the baby to sleep and I'm lying there in bed and it's taking forever and I got an iPad in front of me I figure I might as well watch a movie I might as well put this to, to good use and uh, so I've been I've been trying to sort of you know uh, catch up on a lot of Ultraviolet movies, get those you know look at them on the iPad, see how they look, so forth and so on. It's a high def, high resolution screen. How does it look? And I got to tell you, um, this is why I, I created a thread on the Facebook page because I was curious as to what everyone else's experience with with Ultraviolet is. Not not ready for prime time, not by a long shot. First of all, the quality of the streaming and even the downloading, I don't have a problem with. I, I think a lot of it is really first rate. The problem is. No one really understands what ultraviolet is. First of all, there are like half a dozen companies that are on board, a bunch of others that aren't. We have this thing here, Mr. Hockey, the Gordy Howe story, which is a Walmart exclusive from Arc Entertainment that also comes with a voodoo digital copy. Now, a voodoo digital copy is not the same as ultraviolet, yet voodoo can be used to access ultraviolet. The problem is there is like Flickster, and then there's Voodoo, and then there, the, the individual studios have their sites, and all of them communicate with each other uh, regarding your ultraviolet library, but it doesn't necessarily appear the same on all of them. For example, there are some films you'll be able to stream off of Flickster that Voodoo isn't ready to do, and then sometimes it'll be like a high-definition stream. Sometimes if, it, if it's a streaming like Lawrence of Arabia, it's a, it's a standard-definition stream, and then uh sometimes you can download sometimes you can't, and it's just there's no consistency It, it would be so much better if we just went, you know what you go to ultraviolet dot com your entire library appears there, that's where you use it. There's one app that brings it all up. You don't have like fifty different players and different companies that integrate different kinds of downloads with ultraviolet. It's just there's too much well the there's too much going on it's too confusing
1: well, the thing it's funny because the studios kind of worked together to guarantee that there were some standards for 3D yeah. and digital projection, Yeah, you know? And in, when it came to equipping smaller theaters with uh, did new digital projectors, which can cost like $60,000 or $100,000, yeah. and they couldn't afford it. And I think the studios were sort of, they wanted to make sure that there was not a whole bunch of competing digital three D formats. Although well, there are a couple competing three D formats, but yeah. generally speaking, just a couple. But when it comes to ultraviolet and this sort of stuff, it's all over the map.
0: I know. It's I all mean, all these
1: guys the they need to get together and, a lot and figure this, it out. And
0: I got to tell you, a lot of the studio sites, like the Universal site, it doesn't work right. It's just a, it's it's a total screw up. I mean, it's the, the programming, the coding of the site is horrible. Uh, the, some of the studio apps that, that, that are available are just terrible. It's just it's – so, it's so undercooked. The whole thing is so poorly thought out. It's just – it's like this – it's like a horse by committee. It's dreadful. It really is. They, 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 it's going to fail if they, don't, if they don't just fix the particulars. I can't believe they worked this long on something. Anyway, um, Mr. Hockey, the Gordie Howe story, Walmart exclusive. Uh, it's about Gordie Howe. What do you want? Uh you know it's uh you have to be a hockey fan to really really uh love this. Uh, nothing great about it, nothing bad about it. It's just really really straightforward uh f- you know, decently made, um decently acted, and if you don't know who uh, who Gordie Howe was and don't care, you're not going to watch it. If you do, you're going to love it. And it's on Blu-ray and I would say it's perfectly adequate Blu-ray transfer.
1: Perfectly adequate. You know, perfectly I believe adequate. it says it on the uh, on the DVD box. It does. It quotes me as saying "perfectly adequate." Um, you know, uh, I I was kind of hoping that um, that uh, Sophia Coppola film, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, would be the reemerge would mean the reemergence of Stephen Dorff from the depths of oh somewhere. Somewhere, yes. which I liked a lot. Yeah. And God, I cannot wait to see The Bling Ring. I oh. just When when it was announced that Sofia Coppola is directing The Bling Ring, I just got so excited. It just too. seems like a and thing that she it. would knock out of the park. Everyone loved it. There's something I about her it. and who her yeah. father is and what her age is yeah. and her sensibility. I just know she's going to knock it out of the park. Anyway, um, yeah, I was hoping that uh, Somewhere would be a, a really solid reemergence for Stephen Dorff. Uh, however, he's back in b Land. Yep. Because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film called Tomorrow You're Gone with uh, Willem Dafoe and Michelle Moynihan, who kind like, I, eh, I, of you know, Mich- I like... I like
0: Michelle Moynihan, but happening. she's she hasn't become the new... I know, anything. The new darling, you know? She's like the new Amy Adams. She was on the Amy Adams track, kind of, but she hasn't really emerged because she's just... I don't know, not dense enough. I don't know what it is.
1: But the problem is that, especially if you're, you know, for women, unfortunately, you really only get like... You know, one shot at that. I know. You know, you can't, because then you you get older, and now no one wants to hire you as the young hottie, and it sucks to be an actress in Hollywood, because you really only get one shot to be, like, uh, the big time. Anyway, um, this uh, was directed by David Jacobson, who also directed uh, Down in the Valley, and uh, Dahmer, so he's very much into, like, you know, lonely, conflicted, troubled Criminals. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that great. It's a thriller about an ex-con who uh, takes a mission uh, because he's asked to by this mysterious like benefactor played by Willem Dafoe. It's not great. It's based on a, and it's based on a novel. Novel, of course, I would imagine is going to be better. It's just all very gloomy and Michelle Moynihan uh, plays a porn actress, which I guess is fine. But, uh, you know, I'd rather watch a porn.
0: All right. Dark Skies, uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet, once again. Dark Skies is, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of the supernatural horror films lately and that I can't talk about because I've signed NDAs for all of them. But um, this is just yet another one. It's just like another variation on uh, the, 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 the whole uh, poltergeist slash Amityville horror motif, the, the idea of a family that's somehow been targeted and victimized by something supernatural, horrible, did, and terrifying.
1: Did you realize that I was actually living on Long Island? When the Amityville Horror happened. Really? Not only was I living on Long Island when the Amityville Horror happened, but my uncle, who had a house in Amityville... At the time. Really? He actually knew, because my, my uncle worked in real estate. Yeah. Right? Right. And he knew the groundskeeper of that house.
0: And what did the, the groundskeeper tell him? He saw nothing. Okay. He thinks it's a bunch of crap. <laughs> okay. Imagine
1: that. Well, there's a, there, there's a documentary, a very good documentary that came out, uh, I believe, earlier last year called My Amityville Horror. Yeah. And it is all about the one surviving guy this guy Daniel Lutz, the one surviving fam- surviving family member who was willing to talk, and uh, this guy, his life is completely screwed up. He's not just Daniel Lutz; he's the Amityville kid. Yeah, he's had to live with that his whole life, and uh, he, you know he had nothing to do with it. I mean, he his stepfather was kind of evil, and there was weird stuff going around the house, but he didn't know what it was because he was so young, and maybe it was his dad, and his dad was very controlling, and it ruined his life. And uh, actually, as a as a uh, as a side recommendation, my Amityville horror. All right, thank you.
0: Well, uh, Dark Skies is perfectly okay. It's not great. It just it just really retreads uh, a lot of the same stuff we've seen a million times in all those same movies. And it's if you love the genre, fine, go for it. But I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of sick of seeing suburban families uh, targeted and, and tormented by you know demons from beyond. It's like uh, enough already. Find somebody else to pick on.
1: You know, Wade. I don't know what to make of Ben Kingsley. Somehow, I think that Ben Kingsley should just do. He's he's older and he's a little cheesy. I know what you're saying. I and know what, he should I, just I, go and do movies Gandhi like a common too. Ma- Gandhi,
0: Gandhi Two, <laughs> The Revenge. Yeah,
1: uh, he should just become like an older B movie. All the work I could get is this cheeseball guy kind of like a common man mm. which we'll talk about in a second but he winds up getting these big roles he's in hugo i know he's an iron man 3 yeah. i mean the, he still gets these big roles where there's something about him like you're just a little bit cheesy and one old word, over the hill
0: one word gravitas <laughs> he does he brings the gravitas
1: yeah but in iron man 3 he also is funny as the uh as as what the villain actually is yeah did you see iron man 3 i have not uh, there's like a surprise about the villain.
0: Baby. I have a baby. <laughs> I, I'm i limited now in my uh, theatrical experiences. Uh,
1: there's a surprise about who the villain really is and he does, he, he knocks that out of the park too. It's very funny. Uh, anyway, A Common Man, although it's, you know, Ben Kingsley, Ben Cross, two really, and you know what? I'm very glad Ben Cross wound up in, uh, in, in Star Trek. Because... Ben
0: Kingsley and Ben Cross, they starred in the Best Picture winner at the Academy Awards of 1981 and 1982, Chariots of Fire and Gandhi. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Mwah. I and now, love you too Here
1: they are 30 years later Still uh, getting the roles Anyway uh, Ben Kingsley plays uh, This guy who plants A bunch of bombs around, uh, around All around the world And he's going to detonate them Until uh, You know Until a bunch of terrorists Are released If they're not released He'll detonate the bombs Anyway I, it, the, the movie definitely Doesn't deserve the cast It has um, So I don't know why This was made Or who would really Want to watch this Especially yeah. because It was directed by somebody Who's only done one film Previously and it wasn't very good, uh, Chandram Rutnam. But anyway, a common man, I'd pass.
0: You know, uh, boy, Richard Lagravenese. I I like the guy a lot. I really do. But uh, I think we
1: I think we you you we like him on the strength of the one film that he knocked out of the park.
0: The Fisher King, yes, yeah, and but you know he's done other interesting. He he really has made some other interesting films, and and that being said, he's he's one of these writers who's not easy to sort of you you know you don't hire him to just rewrite something. He he has a very interesting way of working. He never structures anything. He doesn't outline anything. He just kind of goes from his id, and uh, obviously his career has not been uh, on the fast track lately. So he figured, you know what, that uh, Twilight thing's been doing well. I could do better than that. I'll just do my own Twilight story uh, with witches. That's what I'll do, and so he wrote, beautiful, wrote and directed beautiful creatures, which is look. Don't get me wrong; it's way better than any Twilight movie, uh, but that's not saying much. That's just saying like uh, you know, uh, Burger King is better than McDonald's or Carl's Jr. Well, everyone knows that, yeah. Uh, but look, great cast. I mean, good grief. Uh, you know, Emma Thompson, Jeremy Irons, uh, Viola Davis, uh, Emmy Rossum. I mean, it's a it's a pretty, Ooh, Emmy Rossum, by the way. It's a pretty Delicious. great cast. Even though the two stars uh, are people you've never heard of, the, the two young people you've never heard of them before. But that doesn't matter. It's um, it's a great cast, and Philippe Rousselot, you know, is an amazing cinematographer, and it uh, it looks good. It just it's another one of those movies, and it's. Even if it's on the higher end of those movies, it's one of those oh. movies.
1: Uh, by the way, and uh, uh, Le- Le Gravenis also uh, wrote uh, Behind the Candelabra, which we were just. That's talking right, about. exactly.
0: And then, uh, real quickly, uh, Christopher Plummer in Barrymore is uh, is okay. Um, I I don't feel like there's a whole lot to the the story of John Barrymore, and th- this somehow it take, proves it. Well, it, you know, this was this was a play. And um, he's was trying to sort of translate this this you know his his the power of his Tony winning performance on Broadway into a movie here, but it it doesn't really work. It's still kind of like a filmed play, and it it just doesn't. And, and I don't think that, I don't I'm not sure why he even won a Tony. I think it won I think he won the Tony because he he's he's Christopher Plummer. Uh, it, it just there's not a lot to John Barrymore's life that really justifies anything dramatic. I got to tell you. Um, they try hard. It's it's well written for something that really doesn't have any sort of inherent drama to it. But um, anyway, so there you go. If if you want to see you know a filmed Tony winning performance, fine. <laughs> Maybe. What's, what's on Blu-ray? Did what? I mention that it's on Blu-ray? So it's like you're there on Broadway. <laughs> you love that.
1: All right, Open Road is uh, Open Road is is the name of a production, not a production company, a distributor that Wade and I uh, admire because uh, they were created by two. Theater chains. Yes. To pick up all sorts of movies that the uh, studios are too wimpy to... Distribute, Correct. including side effects.
0: In, and in the, it is run by Tom Hortenberg, who used to run Lionsgate, and I have enormous respect. I think he's the best and smartest executive out there, so bravo to them.
1: If you take a look at the open road films that have been released, they're by and large, at least 80% are good films. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, we're not talking about that open road. We're talking about the open road movie, which was uh, from last year. It co-stars uh, uh, three people who should know better, but sometimes you can't get work. Juliette Lewis, Andy Garcia and uh, camilla bell and you know it's one of those films about uh you know young girl she's uh, waitressing and she has to decide whether she should uh you know be with her family who loves her and you know and, and cares about her or she should go for this life of like complete hedonism and like and like freedom because she meets this drifter and a handsome cop and so they represent one sort of lifestyle whereas if she were to hang with her family in this small town. They represent another kind of lifestyle. And so she's at this like fork in the road. And that is the reason reason why the film is called Open Road. Uh, You know, it's fine. It's not bad. It was directed by uh, uh, Marcio Garcia who only directed one film before. That's Bed and Breakfast from 2010 which was uh, No Great Shakes because it stars Dean Cain. And what Dean Cain movie really is any Great Shakes? None. Mm -hmm. Zero. So, uh, I consider this a uh, fairly bland, you know, digital, digitally shot filmmaking Stuff. of no particular uh, importance. So I-, I would probably just pass on open road unless you really love Camilla Bell. Because you know what? She's delicious. Absolutely. Just like uh, Emmy Rossum. Which you didn't hear me say. You were ranting about something and you didn't hear me say that Emmy Rossum was
0: delicious. I agree with you. I'm not going to argue. Uh, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy, ultraviolet combo. The Oranges with Hugh Laurie, who's fabulous. Hugh Laurie and uh, Leighton Meester, basically, it, it's, it's a you know married man, young woman, uh, dark comedy scenario. There's nothing new about this, other than it's a very sharp dialogue and a very smart cast. Um, totally familiar scenario. We've kind of seen it done a million times, but when you reinvent it with Hugh Laurie and Leighton Meester and Catherine Keener and Oliver Platt and uh, Adam Brody and Alison Janney, it suddenly it, it's like a wow. This it's like a real movie. Actors can do an awful lot, especially Oliver Platt, who just somehow turns everything to gold for me. Uh, Oliver Platt, you stick that guy in the crappiest movie in the world, it suddenly becomes watchable. Even if it's just a cameo. You know how Oliver Platt walk on for five minutes in a bad movie and suddenly I can, I can watch that whole damn thing.
1: Yeah, what happened to that guy?
0: He's, just, he's good. He just, he just brings it.
1: He, he's one of those guys who'll wind up and I'll probably wind up getting emails about this, but he's one of those guys who should wind up on one of those like CSI shows where you're like, yeah. you know, I'm glad he's getting work. Yeah. Consistent work. Wade.
0: I, I'm not. No argument for me. No, wait.
1: I've never seen Glee and don't care about it uh, because I'm a heterosexual man. And uh, let me say that uh, Chris Colfer, who stars in Glee, actually made his uh, screenwriting, big screen, big screen screenwriting debut in a movie called Struck by Lightning. Now Struck by Lightning is about a uh, 17-year-old kid played by Chris Colfer from Glee mm, yeah. who winds up uh, he winds up like getting struck by lightning and dying, but it, the movie narrates his story from after he had died recounting his, you know, final weeks um as a super nerd in high school and you know I, what I it's got a good cast. What I didn't like about it is that it seems as if it is very beholden to other movies of that type about you know snide kids being sarcastic about their high school experiences and it doesn't really bring much distinction to that um to final finalist of films previous but again it's got chris colfer who wrote it uh allison Janney's in it christina Hendricks is in it sarah highland from modern family is in it dermot Mulroney. so it's got a decent cast rebel wilson's in it who's, who's kind of hot right now um but ultimately i i just think that this movie what was the movie that you love submarine yeah you love submarine right yeah, love it. That it's awesome. coming of age sort of film. There's just, just a million great. films like that. That's great. Um, of which this is now another one. Mm-hmm. So if you love Chris Call for sure, why not? He wrote it and stars in it. But otherwise, I just think there's a lot better films of this type to watch than this, including Juno, which actually also starred Allison and Janney. Uh, anyway, so that is uh, Strike by Lightning. Yay. Now there's another film out called uh, Picture Day, and this is a weird little film. Um, this is about... It's also kind of high school-based. It's about a girl who's... Uh, Tatiana Maslany. I don't really know where she came from or who she is. I don't know what kind of career she's going to have for herself. She's kind of weird looking, but in kind of that nerdy, cute way. She has to repeat her uh, senior year of high school. So um, she winds up running away with this musician played by Stephen McCarthy, another kind of young, hipster looking guy. And, uh, you know, they wind up kind of having a relationship. And it's, it's, this is very, this is the type of thing that really, honestly, shouldn't be made. Right. I mean, they should take. They should take. Look, this movie could not have cost more than a couple million dollars, tops. They should have taken this movie, the couple million dollars, yeah, and they should have made something like totally different, distinctive, bam, NC seventeen, get your name on the map. Instead, it just becomes like another th- product.
0: Did you know the Centers for Disease Control tested public pools and found out more than half of them contained bacteria that suggests someone may have pooped in the pool? You know, I
1: read that story. I did. I read that story. And then you're like, well, A, who's, what, who's doing that? And, and then, okay, even if, even if you figure some of it is like you know babies in their diapers and maybe they just pooped and so some of the poop gets in the water so it's not the baby's fault – or whatever, or people, no, who, or, or people who didn't shower no, before the, they went into the pool.
0: It's the big hairy guy from, uh, it's just a the bunch big of, hard, hairy bald guy. It's just
1: a bunch of douchebags who, <laughs> who oh, guess what I did, I pooped <laughs> in the shower, dude, it's awesome, oh my god, it'd be awesome, people are going to be swimming my poop, <laughs> I List, love life.
0: Listener mail. Uh, Al from San Francisco took us to task for uh, being a little bit too dismissive of Mandalay, which was part of the Forbidden Hollywood collection uh, from Warner Archive, because we did not uh, shine a spotlight on the amazing Kay Francis, and um, he's a big fan of Kay Francis, loves her uh, postcode film, Living on Velvet, by Frank Borzegi and... Um, He's looking forward to uh, Paramount releasing some of her other pre-code classics. Girls About Town, 24 Hours, Scandal Sheet, Ladies Man. Those are the ones that we're going to have to talk about when they eventually make it out. And we indeed will, because Kay Francis is someone special. And Al, thank you for taking us to task on that. And then uh, also got a uh, an email here from uh, Jason. Jason Levy, who says... Um, and this is an interesting—I want to just take a second to talk about this. He says, since Wade took a look at The Hobbit on 3D Blu-ray and wasn't uh, sure if it was running at 48 frames per second, I went ahead and did a little research, found out the Blu-ray for it is not displaying at 48 frames per second. While it's feasible for Blu-ray to support 48 frames per second playback only on future Blu-ray update, it is not currently supported by the current encoding specs. Uh, and uh, anyway, he goes on We talk, to sort of go through some specs, and I should clarify— uh, that uh, what I was talking about Was watching it uh, on a television That has been bumped up to 120 hertz Which simulates the 48 frame per second effect And uh, th- that's what you're supposed to do To get sort of the full Blu-ray uh, The full uh, 3D Blu-ray effect And it's not the same in the home environment As it is theatrically None of them, Neither of them are impressive But I'm not sure that they are ever going to Really make the the effect work in the home environment For a whole litany of reasons uh, I really do think uh, 3D in the home environment is pretty much doomed for everything except for for games, where you know gamers will get a certain experience because games can they're much more malleable where that's concerned. And uh, Kyle Stevens, longtime listener, writes to us, and uh, he said regarding he just finished watching The Impossible. And um, asks, does a film's adherence to factuality hold any bearing on its impact and reception as it pertains to critical review? Does knowing the writer or director took liberties to enhance the plot uh, change the effectiveness? For me, knowing that I'm watching a heavily altered account lessens the importance of what may have really occurred. Conversely, knowing that a film is being as accurate as possible boosts even the mundane parts. It's a great question. I I don't. You know the the, the classic example is Lowell Thomas, who uh, who's you know was taken out of Lawrence of Arabia as a character and replaced by Jackson Bentley uh, because he just was opposed to the whole idea of making a movie. And he said the only thing that was you know the only thing factual in that movie is the camels in the sand. Um, movies are not reality. Movies are not history, but they can draw on history. And I think you uh, I, I think you have to. Find that sweet spot, you know Shakespeare did, and in fact that the, the Athena title that we talked about earlier that gets into the stories behind the stories of Shakespeare's plays gets a, it really touches on that. It, you have to find a sweet spot where you're taking dramatic license to benefit the drama, but you're not being, you're not betraying the history. And I, don't, you know, I think every project has a different sweet spot. I, I think you just have to it has, it's a judgment call because the impossible, for example, it was orig- I mean it's a very accurate film, but it's not a British family that originally this happened to.
1: Well, I I think that generally speaking, audiences, when they see a true story, whether it's, you know, uh, the Hyde Park on Hudson film or whatever it is, if if it's a narrative, automatically, the filmmakers can be as truthful or not truthful to the original uh, original story and material as they want, and they have to be, because I mean, what would be the alternative? There is no alternative. The moment you make a film based on a true story, you have to alter that story to fit the, con- the constraints of a two-hour time slot. And you have to condense events and you have to change events in order to make it work as a film. That's all there is to it. Even documentaries. You know, documentaries as, as, as nonpartisan as you may want a documentary to be, and that's totally based on truth eventually there's going to be some discrepancy there between the truth and what the director is conveying to you so really you cannot go into any film and think it is the truth absolutely true
0: Uh, Walter Gass writes and says uh, I want to say that both Bates Motel and Hannibal are actually really good shows Uh, I thought the way you did when I heard about them but it turns out they're quite good also Kirk's parents and JJ's movie Felicity and Thor Chris not Liam
1: that was on me. I, 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 you know what? I, I can't keep the Hemsworth uh, brothers straight. Yeah. Regarding uh, Hannibal, I, I do like the fact that uh, Mads Mickelson's getting work. But the only problem with that is that I feel like Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, was our find. He was ours. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, that
0: way too. Right? He was the in, these, in these
1: cool films, like the yeah. Pusher films, and Nobody Valhalla else? Rising, I know. I know. and uh, Royal Affair. He was our guy. And then we it, thought, and now, now it's like I know. every stupid trailer park Joe is watching him on their, in their double wide in Hannibal and I, I don't know. like that
0: I don't either it's a problem
1: I want him to be mine
0: and uh, Eric Altieri asks us uh, so we're all video files here wondering if you have any strict rules about how you organize your collections do you separate movies and TV do you separate documentaries do you separate TV and uh, DVD and Blu-ray what about box sets special box sets uh, what about shelving what kind of shelves do you recommend these are the questions that keep me up at night
1: Wade uh, let me tell you something Wade used to have the most confusing, I, I just do mine alphabetically, by, the end. By the
0: way, he said the Film Junk podcast had three episodes and five hours devoted to this subject. The movie organization manifestos is what they called them, now, which I, oh, I find hysterical. But okay.
1: Anyway. Now, b- before I make fun of Wade, yes. I do mine alphabetically, period. Now, there are some things where like, if it's a box, like, if, like the Stanley Kubrick box set goes under K for Kubrick, the Alfred Hitchcock box set goes under H for Hitchcock. So obviously there's some discrepancies there. There has to be. But basically, it's all alphabetical. Now, Wade, I remember years ago going to Wade's house yep. and seeing the literally 6,000 DVDs that you have. Literally, yep. I'm not sure if you've winnowed that down at all. but
0: uh, A little bit.
1: You and, and, and I used to go through your pile, your 6,000, and I used to grab stuff to borrow. And as I went through it, I realized that you were out of your mind. I am out you of mind. You would do it not only alphabetically, but you would have directors... Uh, you would have box sets
0: Yes I, I, I had my film authors Well I had tell I would separate movie, DVD and Blu-ray together For sure But I would separate out uh, And actually right now I keep all my Blu-rays separate uh, I, I divided that up but I would have movies alphabetically but then I also had uh, schlocky films I had exploitation films in their own section I had horror films in their own section I had martial arts films in their own section I had foreign films foreign language films separated out and then I had my film authors area where I would put you know, all of my uh, Fassbinder and my Truffaut and my Kurosawa and all that stuff cuckoo 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 hey it's what I do that's the way my brain works uh, all right, let's talk about some music and then wrap out with a Vox box. Uh, Paul Anka, no, no, not yet, not Aww. yet, not yet, not yet. Paul Anka live in Switzerland. Uh, this is uh, this is great. This is was uh, filmed in Basel in 2011, and I just love Paul Anka. It's a great Blu-ray, beautiful quality. I still say uh, concerts or live concerts are the best things for Blu-ray. They uh, they just it's just wonderful on great big TV and Blu-ray and high def. It just it just nails it. A lot of great songs here. We yeah, come I on, Paul how can Anka. you not love this? the hell is that? That's a long-haired Chihuahua. Ew. The, the other me. day I
1: hung out with a long-haired Chihuahua, and God, this dog was so you, effing cute.
0: Your dating has taken a really sad turn. Huh? Your dating has taken a really sad turn. Well, at and least, least the dogs time. will go out with me. Okay. Uh, and Paul Anka's great. Now, of course, we all know Paul Anka wrote uh, My Way for Frank Sinatra, which he sings himself here uh, on the uh, later part of the the concert it's great and you know he's saying she's a lady and for once in my life and uh you know oh lonesome me it's just it's just wonderful paul anka is great uh and he's canadian you know that right Paul Anka's oh yeah canadian. totally yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah canada should be proud yep screw that 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 uh, shatner guy and uh let's see mark you got something oh yeah we oh, go for that talk talk about that i oh,
1: want a long hair chihuahua you,
0: you
1: anyway out. um orchestral maneuvers in the dark they were a, a british new wave group oh, um, d baby OMD. Yeah. Uh, not OMG. OMD. Mm-hmm. You know, they never were really huge in the States. They were really more like what the cool kids liked in school. Yeah. You know, more than uh, super popular. But uh, they did have some really good songs. And on Blu ray, we now have uh, OMD Live, Architecture and Morality, and more. And uh, there's some good songs here, including Architecture and Morality. Yeah. Uh, Locomotion, So in Love, Talking Loud and Clear, Joan of Arc. Um, so there's good stuff here, and it's pretty well shot. Um, they've been around since like they, they I think they started like in the early '80s, and they lasted pretty much. I think their golden years were between like the early '80s and like 1988 or so. But um, you know they're pretty cool. They're they're cool. They're older now. They're more polished as musicians, and uh, it's it's not bad stuff actually. Kind of made me reappreciate them a little bit. OMD Architecture and Morality and more. The other uh, Blu-ray we have is Alanis Morissette live at uh, Montreux. We talk a lot about the Montreux, um, uh, the Montro Blu-ray sets. I really like pretty much all of these. I have to say, these are all good Blu-rays. They're all really well shot. The audio is all good. The camera positions are good, so you get very intimate with the uh, with the performers. And so we have Alanis Morissette set singing a bunch of her classic films. You Oughta, uh, classic films, classic songs, mostly from when she reinvented herself from a Canadian little pop mm-hmm. star to like this angry rock songstress. Yep. So you got like "You Ought to Know" and "Hand in My Pocket." And that, that by the way, that album. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bitter Little Pill Yeah It totally holds up It's a great It's It's an awesome album It really is great Fantastic Uh, Now she was uh, Now she was Recording this In support of a new album Called Havoc and Bright Lights But I think her Career basically Is kind of like plateaued But um, Still good songs here She's still a good uh, artist Still a good songwriter And Alanis Morissette Good stuff
0: Uh, Michael Schenker Temple of Rock Live in Europe You know If if you're just A good old fashioned Hard rocker uh, Go for it This is great Uh, It's an excellent Blu-ray uh, the, um, uh, the shot at the <laughs> Tilburg what
1: the doggy look at the doggy the doggy you come on dog. it's
0: cute okay All right. chihuahua. anyway uh, you've got two different concerts here uh, one from the uh, London High Voltage uh, concert and then the other one is uh, in Tilburg Netherlands and great, just good stuff it's just really good uh, hard rock and concert rock and uh, the other one here is the Rolling Stones Crossfire Hurricane. Uh, I am a sucker for anything rolling stones as i as i know mark is and this is actually a uh just a, a portrait of their entire you know rise to remarkable success and uh excellent stuff here the uh you know jump a jack flash is the song that cr- the word cr- the title crossfire hurricane comes from and uh you know you get a really you get a great look into their entire uh their entire genesis It's just a really fascinating thing. And the Rolling Stones are not like any other band in history. I mean, they had their ups and their downs and, you know, uh, some dark moments. And yet they're still together and they're still doing great music and still drawing sold-out stadiums. Even though, you know, Mick looks like he's 20 years younger than he is. And and Keith Richards looks like he's 150 years older than he is. Somehow they're pulling it together.
1: I've heard stories about how Keith Richards right now is so old and so out of tune because he's so out of it. That they have to like basically auto tune his yeah. guitar parts uh, live on stage. They pretty much have to auto tune him live on stage because he is so he's so old and so far gone and just can't riff like he used to and is out of tune half the time. That's okay. You yeah. remember
0: what Sinatra was like in those last few concerts? He wasn't hitting. He was he, there was. But no. the good
1: thing with Sinatra that he was such a great performer. Yeah. You you know, you can.
0: his he, voice was gone it was like bourboned all the way to hell but he's, he can perform shot.
1: but he can almost act the lyrics yeah, and still have that power
0: anyway that's what I heard alright and uh, Mark he, there what? we let's oh do doing it. It yeah, we're doing it now we're doing it now
2: hi Mark and Wade at Sheryl Dixon and I have three questions for you my first is what are you guys thoughts on Colin Trevorrow being chosen to direct Jurassic Park 4 now, he directed Safety Not Guaranteed last year, and has been chosen for Jurassic Park 4. And his choice is kind of like Mark Webb doing Amazing Spider-Man, any director doing a big studio film. And Safety Not Guaranteed was a sci-fi larger budget film, so this might be in his wheelhouse. I'm a little unsure, but it could be a good choice. And that leads to my second question. Are you guys going to see Jurassic Park in 3D? Well, I never saw Jurassic Park since I was four when it came out. I'm kind of thinking of going to see it. Do you think it's worth the money? And my last question is, what movies are you looking forward to this summer? I'm looking forward to Iron Man 3. That's going to be awesome. Man of Steel, which I know Wade's definitely going to like. And World War Z... Just to see how bad it's probably going to be. What are your thoughts? Thank you.
0: Great question, Chevelle. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I would say uh, I think it's, it's the, that's the weirdest casting for a director for Jurassic Park 4 I've ever heard. But... I like
1: it. I'm on board. Are you on board? Well, you know, uh, I, I do get worried. I get worried that – He's never made a big film. No.
0: Which doesn't mean but anything. That's okay. I mean You surround him with the right people. and But that's the thing. They, they, they like these young, untried directors because they can push them around and that's my fear I'm sure he can handle the actors I mean look they've already pushed the release date of that movie so that tells me that things are not moving as quickly as they'd hoped they would and it was an overly optimistic release date anyway but the I I don't know if he he, he winds up being one of these guys who just gets pushed around look um, Mike Van Diem one of my favorite directors of the last 20 years he won an Oscar 15 years ago for his first film Character the, uh, the, the Dutch film an amazing movie then he was supposed to do Enemy of the State had a falling out because he wouldn't be pushed around, and he spent the last 15 years just doing commercials in Europe, he finally has a new movie, a romantic comedy, that just got announced at Cannes, 15 years after his Academy Award-winning first film, because he wouldn't be pushed around. They like to push these young directors around, and that concerns me.
1: Well, I'm also worried about... Although I do like him, in fact, I voted him as my... I think he was my number one choice for uh, New Generation at LAFCA. Um, he, I think it was like, the only person who voted yeah. for him, because I really like Safety Not Guaranteed. My fear is that... What will happen to him is what happens to a lot of foreign directors that Mm -hmm. wind up coming to the States. Whereas everything that made them unique and interesting and that got the studio so excited to hire them, they just forget all of it and say, make me a gigantic action film.
0: And that, by the way, goes all the way back to the 30s. You know, that that's that whole system of bringing people over genre noir never made any really great, great movies in Hollywood. And uh, you know it, it's that anyway. Jurassic Park in 3D, no. What's ne- negative. For neg- Negatory. Um, summer movies, we're looking forward to. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to any summer movies, to be honest. What? I, I'm, no. You know what? You know what? E- Elysium. I'm looking forward to Elysium. Yes, you're. That's, that's you know it. what?
1: How, okay. Um, Neil
0: Blomkamp. I'm on board. Everything else, I'm not the least bit interested in. That's the uh, only one.
1: Well, having seen Star Trek. Um, I can tell you that uh, I'm done with I, I've seen that. Man of Steel, I am more curious to see how much Snyder is going to either blow it or surprise us.
0: I am more interested in the fall season. I think the fall is going to bring some amazing movies. And well, a lot of them are already screening at Cannes and they're getting great reviews. You know, we, we talked about The Bling Ring. Uh, uh, in, Inside Lou and Davis. Inside Lou and Davis, which has got a great review, uh, you know, The Past.
1: Also, the, the, Gravity, I am really curious about. The. Uh,
0: Yes. Yeah. How do you, you, not, how do you not want
1: to see that?
2: You know,
0: it's gonna I, be awesome.
1: I, Come on, it's Alfonso Cuarón. He directed you know, *Children looks, of Men*.
0: It looks like a less realistic feature-length version of the, the 2001 scene, swapping out the uh, the the, the SE 432 unit or whatever. No, no. What
1: I well, okay. How amazing would it be? And again, I don't know. I know nothing about the film. But how amazing would it be if the film is like, let's say, two hours long, and Literally, an hour and 45 minutes of that movie are two characters floating in space, talking, worrying about if they're going to live or die. How awesome would that be? That would be totally I, awesome. Yeah, okay. You love that. You know, if David Lean did it, oh my God, it's about two people in space. I can't believe how bold it was.
0: We're at 70 minutes. We're done. We'll <laughs> be back next week. See you guys.